G'day and welcome to the Birdie Gainer Show. It's great to have your company in these very troubled times. We have another bumper episode today. The US election results remain contested. Amazingly, Donald Trump has just not accepted Twitter's version of results yet. Apparently, and who would have guessed this, but the courts have more power than big tech to decide what constitutes electoral fraud. Seriously, we'll bring you the latest details COVID quarantine and madness has hit again. Australia's biggest loser has just lost another case. I'll tell you all about that. Plus, as always, we finish with Goose of the Week. Who are the new nominees and who did you, the viewers, pick as last week's winner? Stay tuned. But first, we start with the allegations of war crimes against our SAS, and I'll tell you what the media has not. If you've opened a newspaper or watched the news this week, the media has been telling you that Australia's soldiers committed war crimes in Afghanistan. Lies, intimidation, a self-centred warrior culture and war crimes. That's what's been outlined in a landmark inquiry into Australian Special Forces. Following a four-year investigation, the report says there is credible information 25 soldiers committed 39 murders outside the heat of battle revealing chilling details in the hope they never happen again. The last casualty of Australia's longest war is the reputation of our army. To the people of Afghanistan, on behalf of the Australian Defence Force, I sincerely and unreservedly apologise. Because our best troops stand accused of the worst deeds. The unlawful killing of civilians and prisoners is never acceptable. It's an open and shut case, a four-year investigation, 19 soldiers, 39 murders. It's shocking stuff. But is that what the report actually said? Well, and this is the interesting part, no, it didn't. I bet you haven't heard that from the media. This is a direct quote from the inquiry report. It states, the inquiry directions prohibit it from concluding that a criminal or disciplinary offence has been committed by any person. The report goes on to say, this is not a finding of guilt, nor a finding to any standard that the crime has in fact been committed. A finding that there is credible information of a matter, for example, that a particular person has committed a particular war crime, is not a finding. On balance of probability, let alone to a higher standard, that the person has committed a crime. The report also states this, there can of course be credible information of a matter warranting further investigation, even if there is also credible information to the contrary. A finding that there is a credible information of a matter is not a finding that the matter is proved to any particular standard. The inquiry is not a criminal trial. For all these reasons, as is common experience with commissions of inquiry, it does not follow from a finding in this report that there is credible information of a war crime, that there will be a prosecution, let alone a conviction. So this report does not find that war crimes were committed. It only found that there was credible information to support an actual criminal trial, while admitting at the same time that there may also be credible information that no such war crime was ever committed. Basically, we have a farce on our hands. And 
it is only going to lead to the worst of all possible outcomes. If there were no war crimes committed, then all that has happened is that reputations of brave Australian soldiers have been destroyed. And if there were war crimes, there are now serious legal issues about whether the evidence in this inquiry can be used at all and whether trials will be compromised because it may be impossible given the media coverage to provide any defendant with a fair hearing. As I've been saying from the beginning of this mess, this has been the wrong process to deal with these allegations. If there is evidence that soldiers executed prisoners or murdered civilians, those soldiers should be criminally charged and provided an opportunity to defend themselves. If found guilty, they should be sentenced. It's that simple. And this process is what should have been done years ago. That has not happened because if there is one thing that is clear in this mess, it is that our military leadership is hopeless and the generals running the show are entirely unfit for the important jobs that they hold. That much was obvious, by the way, when Angus Campbell, the Chief of Defence Force, opened his media conference on Thursday. Good morning, everyone. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. <sighs> Luckily for Australia, the Chief of Defence Force is focused on the big issues, the important details of wokeness. After all, skipping the welcome to country ceremony would be a far bigger scandal than sending the same soldiers over and over and over again to a poorly fought, strategically hopeless and ultimately futile war. By the way, did you know that the Afghan government is in the process of releasing a Taliban fighter who murdered three Australian soldiers as part of a peace settlement with the Taliban, even though more than 6,000 civilians have been killed in Afghanistan this year? I mean, now might be a good time to ask, what exactly did the war over there achieve? The answer, who cares? Let's not talk about that. It's much more fun for the political class and the military head honchos to destroy those they sent over to fight. Now, all of this being said, the IGADF report does contain serious allegations and they should be investigated. In fact, they should have been properly investigated long ago. The report does also raise some other issues that the government needs to address. For instance, the report did recommend that the separation between the SAS and the remainder of the army be removed and that special forces should not be treated as the default force of first choice for expeditionary deployments, except for irregular and unconventional operations. Amen to that, I say. Anyone who knows anything about the Army has known that for far too long, the government has decided that only the SAS can be sent on operations that should be routine activities for any infantry battalion. This failure of political and military leadership will be a huge factor, perhaps even the primary factor, if it is eventually proven that war crimes were committed, but no one will be held to account for that. These soldiers were simply deployed for too long, too often, and asked to do all the killing. It is unhealthy, not just for the SAS troopers themselves, but for the rest of the army, which is largely being kept in cotton wool. Of course, one reason why the rest of the army is kept in cotton wool is because, well, it has become so wokeified that it probably can't be asked to do war fighting anymore. 
I wanted a job that was outdoors, physical, would test me, wouldn't be boring, and a job that could lead me somewhere so it had job opportunities later on. Uh, my name's Jane, I'm based in Townsville and I'm an infantry soldier in the army. Infantry soldiers will get the closest to the action, we'll build defensive positions, we'll set up ambushes, we will attack when attacked upon. When you work, you work hard. I love it. To be suited for infantry, you need to have mental resilience, physical endurance, integrity. You really need integrity. You can't work with someone and trust them with your life if you don't have integrity. You get some amazing opportunities. You'll shoot rocket launchers, you'll shoot grenade launchers. But working with people and trusting them that much, I don't know, that's, that's what I love about the job. Being in infantry, you get heaps of benefits from the army. If you're just doing it for the money, it's not worth it. If you've got a bigger purpose in mind, if you, if you want more from your job than just a paycheck, then infantry's a good option. I love being infantry. Ooh, scary. Our enemies will be quaking in their boots, but at least our army is woke, and that's what counts. Unfortunately, rather than fix the rest of the army so that it can do the jobs, that have been given almost solely to the SAS, we all know that it is just far more likely that what you just watched is unfortunately the future of the SAS too. War crimes are serious offences and should be dealt with, but the destruction of our military capability is a crime too, a far more serious one, and it's continuing before our very eyes, and no one will be punished for that at all. According to Twitter, Donald Trump lost the US election. So naturally, they've censored hundreds of thousands of tweets that raise any prospect of electoral fraud. Electoral fraud just doesn't happen. Twitter has decided, so just get on with your lives under the new leader of the free world, Joe Biden. He'll keep you safe from scary diseases and more importantly, will let Big Tech keep amassing its monopoly on communications, which is making people like Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey uber rich and powerful. They like it that way, and let's face it, who wouldn't? But it does seem a little premature for big tech to declare that electoral fraud didn't happen. Just this week, a Californian man was charged with lodging 8,000 fraudulent voter registrations in a local election. Carlos Montenegro, seen here in a photo from his Facebook page, is charged along with a friend, Marcos Arevalo, with making it all up with voter fraud multiple counts, in fact, in an alleged scheme that ran from July to October. The felony complaint stating he used the family home in Hawthorne and three post office boxes as mailing addresses for over 8,000 voter registration applications for fictitious, non-existent, or deceased persons. Oops. If local elections can involve thousands of fraudulent ballots, maybe it happens in bigger elections too, where the stakes are much higher. But I bet you didn't hear about this. You're not supposed to. No one is allowed to ask questions like why, in the middle of the night when no one was looking, did hundreds of thousands of votes suddenly appear, giving Joe Biden the lead in a number of key states? The mainstream media doesn't want to answer that question. Instead, it wants you to hear this. It has been a bad week for the Trump legal team that actually right now is holding a press conference that is so bananas we can't even bring it to you because it's just so full of BS. 
Trump is full of BS, CNN declares. There's no evidence that CNN reporter would know. I mean, she wasn't even there at the press conference on Friday in which the Trump legal team outlined its case. She didn't need to be there. She already knew it would be full of BS. It explains why this is the reaction CNN now gets from Rudy Giuliani, President Trump's lawyer. What publication are you with? CNN. <laughs> <laughs> CNN does deserve to be laughed at. CNN and pretty much all the other outlets are jokes. They are a disgrace to journalism. This is actually just one small part of what Rudy Giuliani had to say in that press conference full of BS, which consisted of him reading for about an hour of sworn affidavit after sworn affidavit after sworn affidavit of witnesses on oath and under penalty of perjury attesting to fraud. And here's what they jointly swear to, that every ballot that they could see, every thing they could hear, these were ballots for Biden. When they saw a ballot, these were ballots only for Biden, meaning there was no down ticket, just Biden. Many of them didn't have anything on the outer envelope because these ballots were produced very quickly, very swiftly, and they're estimated to be a minimum of 60,000, maximum of 100,000. Many of them were triple counted, which means they were put into the counting machine this way. Once, twice, three times. I didn't see that. I don't know that, but for the fact that three American citizens are willing to swear to it. Three people have now sworn that tens of thousands of ballots showed up in Michigan in the middle of the night, all for Biden. And after it was thought that all Republican scrutinies had gone home because counting had stopped. They've also sworn that these ballots were counted multiple times. That is interesting. I guess it could explain the sudden jump of Joe Biden's votes in Michigan, putting him suddenly in the lead. But the media just wants to pretend that these witnesses don't even exist. Another affidavit, this time concerning the state of Georgia states, most of the ballots had already been handled. They had been written on by people and the edges were worn. They showed obvious use. However, one batch stood out. It was pristine. There was a difference in the texture of the paper. It was if they were intended for absentee use, but had not been used for that purpose. There was a difference in the feel. The affidavit went on to state, in my 20 years of experience of handling ballots, I observed that the markings for the candidates on these ballots were unusually uniform, perhaps even with a ballot marking device. By my estimate in observing these ballots, approximately 98% constituted votes for Joe Biden. I only observed two of these ballots as votes for President Trump. Now, these matters will be dealt with by the courts and who knows how they will play out. The Trump team is certainly talking up their prospects, including raising concerns that the actual voting software system Dominion uh, can and was manipulated. It is also alleging that observers were kept out from counts, that Democratic areas of key states were allowed to fix defects in ballots while Republican areas were not, that voters turned up on election day to discover that they'd already voted, or more precisely that someone else had already voted for them. Election officials were told not to look for defects in ballots, that absentee ballots were sent out without request, and that some areas had more votes than actual voters. These are all serious issues. Maybe if the media spent some time speaking to people who have agreed to testify to these problems, 
it might, and more importantly, the election itself might be viewed as credible. Until then, we can only wait for the judges to make a decision. And whatever you might hear about Trump losing in the courts, the only decision that will count at the end of the day will be the final ones made by the Supreme Court of the United States. And there is still a long way to go before that happens. Australia's favourite loser, Gary Burns, has just lost again. Burns, a gay serial litigant and now a documented vexatious litigant, tried to bring a complaint of homosexual vilification against Israel Folau at the end of last year. As I pointed out at the time, and I had good reason to do so, Burns lodged this complaint against the cashed-up Folau moments after bankruptcy proceedings were commenced against him. I knew about them because Burns owed me money. For all the world, it looked like Burns was hoping that Folau would pay him go-away money and that this would solve his financial problems. Burns owed me and a Victorian grandmother, Tess Corbett, he complained against over $80,000 after he lost a High Court matter against us in 2018. He still hasn't paid that, by the way, and is now bankrupt, but not before he ran a campaign to get the New South Wales taxpayer to actually cover his litigation costs. It was supported by Alex Greenwich, the gay member for Sydney. <laughs> he actually believes that taxpayers should bail out vexatious gay activists. What a joke. Anyway, earlier this year, the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board rejected Burns' complaint against Israel Folau as vexatious. Burns was obviously surprised by this. Up until that point, the board has happily rubber-stamped his legal terrorism. In fact, it still does if Burns isn't complaining about high-profile rugby players. Normal plebs are fair game, which just shows the cowardice and hypocrisy of the thought police. They are terrified of scrutiny. So Burns appealed the decision to the tribunal. And last week, the tribunal ruled again that Burns' complaints against Folau were vexatious, finding variously that his behaviour was inappropriate, churlish, offensive, personally insulting, reprehensible, and that is a big word, that he made a series of thinly veiled threats, that his emails were hectoring, that he failed to maintain confidentiality, and that his complaint was an abuse of process. That was a surprise to nobody. Like I said, Australia's biggest loser just lost again. Alas, however, Burns has not finished yet. I still have four complaints that I must face. 33 others that he has lodged against me since 2014, however, have now been dismissed. And I'll be back in court on the 8th of December. And I have thousands of pages of similar emails to the ones Burns sent to Israel Folau, where Burns has threatened, abused, and attempted to intimidate me. I will expect the tribunal to deal consistently with them too. Up until now, both it and the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board has completely ignored Burns' conduct in relation to me or any other person. That's not good enough. If you want to stay up to date, please sign up to receive my emails at bernardgaynor.com.au. By now, you should know that the main symptom of COVID-19 is madness. Wherever this disease is present, governments, politicians, bureaucrats, they all go insane. They just can't cope, which is why South Australia was locked down this week. 
Day one of lockdown and Adelaide tonight resembles a ghost town. Businesses and schools are closed, the streets deserted, beaches on a scorching day are bare. Our COVID fight back is in full swing and tonight there are signs we're winning with no new cases recorded. <laughs> the fight back is on. It's in full swing. No cases recorded. It's insane. Fortunately, many of the 20 odd people in South Australia who do have COVID wouldn't know they had it unless they were tested. In other words, they are not sick at all. But that's not good news. No, that's bad news. A disease so sneaky that we don't even know we're sick is on the loose in Adelaide. Everyone must stay home and wear masks and you definitely cannot eat food while standing up. If you do, you could kill your mother. Given the complete paranoia, it is really not surprising that the latest round of COVID hysteria comes because some poor sod who didn't even know he was sick lied about where he had been. He said he bought a pizza instead of telling the COVID police that he worked in a pizza shop. For some reason, and I really can't work out why, the fact that he actually spent longer in the pizza shop than he first admitted to is actually good news. So restrictions are easing in South Australia once again. You can go for a jog now, but you still can't stand up and eat at a wedding. That's too dangerous. Enjoy your freedom, South Australia, because you know it will disappear again at any moment. That's the price we pay for going down an elimination path. By now, we are all well aware that our federal politicians are probably the sleaziest group of people in Australia. They just can't help themselves. Love is love, I guess. but. Maybe not. In this age of hedonistic puritanism, some feminists think they have the answer. They want a universal bonk ban. One of them is Jenna Price, an academic focused on political sociology who runs the Facebook page Destroy the Joints. It whines about how women are invisible while promoting men who wear dresses, all the usual crazy stuff you'd expect from a page that exists only to make unhappy women feel unhappy about the world. Jenna has decided that sexual relationships can destroy workplace cohesion, and she does have a point. In an article for the Sydney Morning Herald, she wrote, you can't critique the boss in front of the boss's partner. That is true. And it is especially unfair on workers if these relationships are secret affairs. Who knows what you might say or do that will be reported back to the boss. Totally unfair. Now, I don't want to put words in Jenna's mouth, but it's pretty obvious that what she actually wants is marriage. You know, that thing we used to do where a man and a woman, just one, one of each, committed to each other publicly for life. And they did this and they kept their vows. I hate to tell you, Jenna, but you're openly pining for the days of the husband, wife, three kids, and of course, the white picket fence. That's the world that will solve all your problems. You may not like to hear this, but there is a very good test of the health of our society and we are failing it miserably. That test is simple, it's this. Are we happy to let people with Down syndrome live? And it's clear right now that the answer is no. It means we are sick, not just here in Australia, but all over the Western world. And truth be told, the richer you are, the more likely you are to be sick. A recent article for The Atlantic titled The Last Children of Down Syndrome, 
looks in depth at the approach in the Netherlands, which became the first nation to provide screening for this genetic disorder. Legally, it was called preventative eugenics. We don't call it that anymore, not because anything has changed. It actually still is eugenics. We just don't like to acknowledge it. And now we have this screening. 95% of children with Down syndrome in the Netherlands are aborted. The rates are similar across the Western world. So much for love is love. You know, people like to think that they would carry a child with Down syndrome, but the reality is almost everyone chooses otherwise. That says a lot about our society. This article carried a little story and it goes like this. We sat down at a cafe and Greta gave her phone to Carl Emil to busy himself with while we spoke in English. He took selfies, his mother, his sister, and I began to talk about Down syndrome and the country's prenatal screening program. At one point, Greta was reminded of a documentary that had sparked an outcry in Denmark. She reclaimed her phone to look up the title, Death to Down Syndrome. When Carl Emil, the Down Syndrome uh, member of the family, read over her shoulder, his face crumpled. He curled into the corner and refused to look at us. He had understood, obviously, and the distress was plain on his face. Yes, we need to accept as a society that we have, as individuals and collectively, acted in unison to carry on a war of eugenics against people with disability. It is selfish. It is evil. And until we start letting people with disability live long enough to take their first breath, we are not a society of love. A society of love would care for these people enough to let them live. And a society that loves will see a lot more of this. So I want to take this opportunity to thank all those mums and dads out there who have had the love and courage to care for a little one who is different, even if you could only do so for a few minutes. You are an inspiration and a true example of love. Love is about sacrificing yourself for someone else. And a little child who may only live a few minutes was created to be loved. They exist only to receive love. And there is a hole in the universe every time they deny that. The good source is not an echo chamber, not at all. We have disagreements and one that popped up recently was whether we should use preferred pronouns. It arose after James McPherson wrote an article about the gay man from the Philippines who won Miss New Zealand. You should check out the article on the Good Source website. Now, James is a smart guy and he is also extremely funny, but his decision to use preferred pronouns in the article was wrong. There is a quick way of knowing it is wrong. All you have to do is ask yourself this, would the ABC use preferred pronouns? Of course they would because they are crazy and cannot handle the truth. Another giveaway is that the term preferred pronouns is used because you cannot use the term real pronouns. Every time you use preferred pronoun instead of the real pronoun, you are taking part in a lie. I refuse to do it. Now, there was some debate about this on Palo Talk earlier this week. This is Senator Claire Chandler's take. Do you think we should use preferred pronouns with or without square, scare quotes or stick to the biological reality? Yeah, it, it is um, it is a, a tricky issue, that one. And, and I, I guess 
I come at it from a position that if, you know, if, if you want to be referred to a certain way and you request that of someone and, you know, then then, then that other person is, you know, w- within the realms of um, social politeness, I think, obliged to refer to you as you would like to be uh, referred to. I mean, I, I wouldn't for um, the slightest moment try and, and draw a parallel here, but um, I'm, you know, 30 years old and sometimes when people refer to me as senator i'm not entirely sure who they're talking about but i mean i'm much happier for people to call me claire not that i'm saying that um that that is the same but you you know you ask um people how you would like to be referred to and this is what lol shelton had to say I, i agree with you senator i think um politeness and consideration in human interactions is really important i often think of um catherine mcgregor who i think is a brilliant public commentator and a, an amazing writer um, now, you know, Catherine um, is probably Australia's most public um, person who has undergone uh, a gender transition. And I think out of respect, I would, I would um, you know, call her by female pronouns if uh, I was having an interaction with her. Well, I have to say that I disagree with both Lyle and Senator Chandler, even though I think she is doing a great job defending women's sport from blokes who think they are females. This is my response. But the very fact that we're having a debate about whether we should use the correct pronouns for a person is symbolic of the reason why conservatives lose these battles over and over and over again. And I will make this prediction. We will never, ever win the battle on transgender men in women's sport if we decide that we have to be polite and refer to them as women. The moment we refer to them as women, we have lost the debate. And the fact is, they aren't women. The very fact we use the word transgender woman highlights that they're not a woman. Now, the the word he or she means something. He refers to a man, she refers to a woman. And as much as, again, it's called the preferred pronoun because it's not the real pronoun. Uh, and I, I don't think we can ever lose sight of that. And the moment we decide not to speak the truth, we tie our hands behind our backs legally, so, so Bernard, if, socially, if Catherine McGregor was here tonight, if Catherine McGregor was Catherine here tonight, McGregor would you refer to Catherine as, as Malcolm or as Catherine? I would refer to Catherine McGregor as a man because Catherine McGregor is a man. There's no doubt about that. But well, would you Catherine call Catherine himself. Malcolm or would you call Catherine Catherine? Yeah. Catherine can call himself whatever he wants, but he is a man, and there is no getting around that. And it is this whole topic of politeness. Where is the consideration on the politeness or respect shown to people like you, me, Claire, everybody else to lie in our pronouns? There's no requests of or respect there. They're asking us to lie, to lie. Now you can, people can, a name is not the same thing as biological gender reality. People can change their name, um, but they are still a man or a woman. That's the reality. And the moment we decide that we're not going to use the real pronoun in order to be polite, we're going to lose the fight socially, politically, legally, every other way and eventually we're going to be saying oh well we lost that battle as well now let's have the fight on you know kindergarten kids being taught preferred pronouns well and then we're going to lose that fight too oh we've got to start talking the truth 
We do have to start talking the truth. Don't use preferred pronouns. Use the real ones. That's how we start fighting back. And let me know what you think. I'd love to see your comments. Speaking of preferred pronouns, it's that time again. Goose of the week. Last week's nominees were Joe Biden for appointing a transgender military advisor. Naomi Wolf is stating on Twitter that if she'd known Joe Biden was in favour of lockdowns, she wouldn't have voted for him. And the entire nation of New Zealand for sending that gay dude from the Philippines to represent them at Miss Universe. Now, you have spoken and Joe Biden is the winner. He's lucky because if it was up to me, I would have given the award to Naomi Wolf. Give Joe Biden a round of applause. Now, the first nominee this week is the Australian men's cricket side. They've just announced that they'll stand barefoot in a circle in support of the Black Lives Matter movement at the start of the one-day game against India later this week. I couldn't think of a better way to make the entire match irrelevant. Now, they're idiots in all sorts of ways, but primarily because they've decided to copy the Australian women's side, who also did this earlier this year. Now, there are many reasons why female cricket should be totally ignored. You can add this to the list. And no, I'm not afraid to say what pretty much anyone who follows cricket thinks. Women's cricket is not the same. And you can say the same thing about AFL 2, a complete waste of time and dollars. The second nominee is Freddie McConnell. Freddie is a woman. She also just became a mum. Good for her. And as you can see, Freddie makes a living playing the bearded leggy at the local circus. But Freddie is a goose for other reasons, however. She's just been to court. In fact, the UK's highest court to be named the father of the son she gave birth to. That's right, she gave birth to Jack, but wants the birth certificate to state that she is Jack's dad. The court said no, that's almost shocking in fact, given how weird everything is right now, claiming that a child has a right to know who his actual mum is. I agree, and Freddie is a goose. Our final nominee is Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. Joanne, is a vocal defund the police activist. Two city commissioners are pushing to slash millions of dollars from the Portland Police Bureau's budget again. Over and over and over again, we've seen outrageous behavior by police. But it seems that sometimes even the most ardent defund the police activist needs to call the cops. 911, what's your emergency? I got a Lyft driver that decided he would just drop me off at a solar station and he wants me to get out and I'm not getting out of the car. All because I asked him to put the window up, but I'm not leaving. He says I have to get out of his car or he's calling the police, so I decided to call for help. Okay. I mean, technically it's his property and you have a civil agreement. There's no crimes involved. I am not going to allow him to leave me on the side of the road. I pay for I pay for a ride and okay. he has this. He says he cancelled it. Yeah. So I'm just going to sit here until he sends me another ride. You, know, you can order another ride. Uh, so uh, I can have an officer come out, but they're not going to be able to make him stay there. Well, I mean, he can't go anywhere because I'm not moving until another car comes. So So I can have officers come out. Where are you? I'm not Apparently, I'm at the Chevrolet. Not at In what city? In Richfield. What's your name? My name is Joanne Hottesty. All right. Well, if officers come out. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Joanne Hardesty who called the cops because her Uber driver probably got sick of listening to her idiocy and wanted out. She's a dead set moron. So who will it be this week, my friends? Will, your, will you be patriotic and give the award to our homegrown geese, the Australian men's cricket side for their BLM protest? Will you award the British mum who went to court to be a dad? Or will you recognise the stellar levels of stupidity 
in the defund the police activists from Portland who, well, called the cops. Over to you. Use your power wisely and let me know the answer in your comments. That's it for today. Stay tuned to The Good Source where we fight fake news and remember to subscribe, like and share, share, share. The Bernard Gaynor Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Bernard Gaynor. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJWPC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 